some of the church are looking at the screen and watching people follow on seeing and comment saying they're here. That's always good to, to see and encouraging for me. It's also encouraging to have live music here this morning. That was great. Uh, and you guys out there that are listening, I know you're thinking, who was that? Could it have been Josh? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. We'll, we'll have to make, uh, leave that up in the air if it wasn't. But it's good to have live music here this morning. We're taking baby steps towards getting back to having live church again. This is just the first step. Live music turned into something else next week, and we're going to have live church before we know it. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 23 today. And this is one of the most well-known parables in the entire Bible. This is uh, a parable that we've all heard before. I'll say a parable, a story that every one of us that are listening here, if you've grown up in church, you know this parable. You've heard the parable of the, the sower and the seed. You know uh, the, the details of this parable very well. But I hope you, you also know that there's a valuable lesson that comes with it. And it's one of the great lessons in all the Bible. As Jesus tells his disciples here, why some people believe and others don't. This is, a, this is a great lesson for all of us. It's a big question for Jesus to answer here because there are, we, we are gospel sharers. We, we love to share the gospel. That's what we do. We want to see people believe. We want to see people saved. We want, to come to, we want people to come to, to faith in Jesus Christ. We, we, we love that. That's our heart's desire. And when we see people aren't getting saved, we want to ask the question, why aren't they? What's up with that? So we're going to ask that question today. Why doesn't everyone believe? And that's the that's a, title of this sermon, and again, it's very valuable, it's very needed, and this is something that, that many churches, I think many preachers, miss. This is so encouraging for me. Why doesn't some people believe? Is it my fault? Is it your fault? Is it the message's fault? Whose fault is it? And I think Jesus is going to show us here that the reason some people don't believe is a problem with their own heart. So let's read together. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. I'm going to give you all 23 verses at once. We might be here all day long, which we might be anyway. But I'm going to give you verses 1 through 9, just kind of give you the idea of this parable or this story. So starting in verse 1, the Word of God reads, The same day went Jesus out of the house, and he sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and he sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables. That's a key word there. Saying, Behold, and here's the story. A sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and de devoured them up. Some fell upon the stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, and they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into the good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. And then he ends it with this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So there's a parable, and I know I haven't explained it yet, but this is going to show us why some people believe and others don't. Uh, so let's go ahead and pray as we ask God's blessing upon this study, and then we'll study this passage. Father, we thank you for this opportunity you've given us that your word is not down, that in the midst of this isolation, uh, being uh, really locked away in our homes, that your word is going out more so now than it ever has, that there are more people listening. And we've known that here at our church, that we've seen more people listening and commenting on your word than we ever have as a church. I miss the people being here. I know it's not what we want, but God, we're making the best of a bad situation. So bless the preaching of your word. Bless the seed as it's being sown across the airways. And God, help me as I present these truths. May this seed fall on good ground today. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Uh, several years ago, in the 1700s, 1800s, there was a man by the name of William Wilberforce. He was a great politician, one of the big wigs in England at the time. And he got saved. He would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And immediately, he had a desire to see the other politicians in the cabinet and his friends get saved. So he started inviting them to church. And he invited one of his friends, one of the more prominent politicians in England at the time, to come to church with him and to listen to one of the great evangelist preachers in all of England. He brought him to church. This guy was a fireball preacher, man. He could preach uh, heaven sweet and hell hot. I mean, he was telling you how it was. The gospel of Jesus Christ was going out. And he said, I know if I bring my friend, this politician, to hear his sermons and to hear the gospel, he'll believe. So William Wilberforce brought his friend to church, sitting down right beside of him. Preacher got to preach, and he preached one of the most beautiful, powerful sermons that he ever heard. And the whole time, William Wilberforce, which I love that name, was sitting there saying, Amen. That's a great sermon. Preach it, brother. And he's sitting there looking at his friend the whole time, saying, I, I hope this guy gets that. I hope he gets saved. I hope he believes. Every point, he'd say, Amen, right? Amen, right? By the time the sermon's over with, he's going to go to his friend, and they're going to walk out, and he's going to look at him and say, What do you think? What's the verdict? And they did that. The sermon ended. The invitation was given, and his friend didn't move. So as they're walking out, he looks at his friend, and he says, now, this is a crystal clear gospel presentation. It couldn't be any more clear. And his politician friend was brilliant. He was a genius. Had a, had a great mind. And William Wilberforce looked at him and said, so, what's the verdict? And his friend looked at him, and he said, I quote, I haven't the slightest idea what that man was talking about. And I think we've all been there. I think we've all had that happen to us where we have family, we have friends, we have loved ones, and we desire with all of our hearts to be saved. We brought them to church. They've heard a crystal clear gospel presentation, whether it be here or another church or an evangelist or you sharing the gospel. And you're sitting there thinking, yes, they're going to get it. They're going to get it. And then the invitation is given, and you're sitting there looking at them and saying, walk the aisle, walk the aisle, go get saved, go believe. And then the church service ends, and they walk out, and nothing changes. And you're sitting there thinking, I've heard this a thousand times. I don't know how they sit through that. I don't know how they couldn't believe that. I don't know how they couldn't give their life to Jesus. How could they sit through a sermon like that and not believe? And then we begin to ask questions. Why don't, again, some people believe? Why do some believe and others don't? Often the same service. Jonathan Edwards, and I'm not giving you a lot of history here. I'm not going to get started, but Jonathan Edwards preached his sinners in the hands of an angry God in his home church, and hundreds believed and were saved. And then he went and preached what preachers often do. They'll go to another church and think, it worked good there, it'll work good again. And he preached it again in another church across town. And in that church, there was crickets. Nothing happened. What's up with that? Is it because some are smarter and others are just too dumb to get it? No. William Wilberforce's friend was a, was a genius. He was brilliant. So why do some get it and others don't? That's the big question that Jesus is answering for his disciples here. Because building up to this, we've got we to build up to this, and I really got to get going. I've got to get, get, get into this. I've got to get this plane off the, the runway. The first 12 chapters, I don't have time to do a review of this. Jesus has been preaching the gospel repeatedly. Over and over, chapter 10, he gave one of the great invitations that's ever been given. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's the gospel going out, and that it was rejected. Chapter 12, he ends it with, who's 
whosoever wills, that shall do the, the will of my Father in heaven, he shall be my family. It's another invitation that's going out, and even his family rejected. The Jewish scribes and the Pharisees rejected. The crowds rejected. And then his family rejected him. And there's only 12 that are really following him. So his disciples are starting to ask that question, what's up? Have we failed? Shouldn't the Messiah be drawing bigger crowds than this? Is Jesus the right man? Do we have the right message? Should we tweak it a little bit? Change it? Make it more uh, appealing to the crowd? Should Jesus calm down with the repentance stuff? We ask those same questions. Where's the crowds? Where's the success? Should we change it a little bit to make it more appealing to everybody else? So Jesus here's going to answer that question. Here it is. And he shows it to us through a parable. And he's going to show us that the problem isn't with the preacher. The problem isn't with the message. The problem is with the heart of man. What's deep down inside him. And with this story, with this parable, he opens up the heart of man and shows us something that we've never seen before. What he sees. So we need to see this today. This is an extremely valuable lesson for us. For the church. This is man's response to the gospel. This is why some people believe and others don't. So let's look at this. Again, I found the sermon, Why Doesn't Everyone Believe? And I'm going to give you three very, very, very simple points. I had longer drawn out points. I, I mean, it was just all going to be the same. Everything's going to be so, so perfect. And everybody online is going to like it and say, His outline was wonderful, which nobody ever does. But here's the, here's the three points I want to give you. Starting with number one, I want to tell you the story. In verses one through nine, he tells the story. It says there in verse one, the same day when Jesus went out of the house, so now he goes outside. And this is this is important for our transition because 13 is a transition chapter from chapter 12 to 13. Obviously, it's a different number, but it's also a different way of ministry for Jesus. That he's been inside, he's been in the Jewish houses and in the Jewish synagogues, and now he steps outside. And he'll spend the rest of his ministry on the seaside, out in the open, more towards the Gentiles. So it says there, Jesus the same day went out of the house by the sea. And when he gets out there, he's surrounded by a crowd. It says he went out, and the great multitudes were gathered together unto him. So he says it's great multitudes, and commentaries say this, this is probably the biggest crowd Jesus ever preached to. I mean, it's, it's multiplied thousands of people that are, that are surrounding him. It, it, it says a great multitude, which means it's not, multitude is thousands. Great multitude is, is it's exponentially more. So he's got a huge crowd here, one of the biggest crowds he ever had. They had to put him up in a ship. I mean, he's sitting there along the seaside, and I'm like, boy, here's what we'll do. We'll bring a boat in. You get him on the boat, and the boat, become, the boat becomes his pulpit, and the, 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 the multitudes become his congregation. And it's almost, I don't have time to get into it, but at the seaside there in Galilee, it's almost like a, 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 it's in, in a bowl where everybody's going to be going up the hillside where they often hear him. So he gets up on the boat, and he's going to preach a message. And Mark 4 says the same story that he stands and he says, Hearken! I like that word. I'm going to start using it. Hearken! You say, what does hearken mean? Listen. Pay attention. You have to hear this. The crowd needs to hear what he's about to say. This is an unbelievable scene for him as he's, as he's starting out his sermon. Unlike any other scene that we've ever seen. Jesus on a boat, way up high, crowds surrounding him, and he says, Hearken! Listen to me! And what does he say? I like this. He tells a story. It says that he spake, verse 3, many things unto them in parables. 
And again, I said that word parables, and if I were you, I'd break out an ink pen or a marker, and I would underline parables, because we're going to spend the rest of this chapter and a lot of Matthew going over his parables. What is a parable? Most people think it's just a story, but it's more than a story. It's an earthly story with a spiritual meaning. I'm going to say that again. An earthly story with a heavenly or spiritual meaning. So it goes deeper than just a story. It's not just a story that it tells. Some preachers just tell stories to tell stories. Other preachers tell stories to, to help them understand a meaning. That's what a parable is. It goes deeper. The word par parable, parable means parallel. You got on one side, parallel to the other. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And here's the story. And I, I, I've got to get going. Verse, verse 3. Behold. And I, I think he's pointing out at it. And he sees out in the crowd a sower. Look at this sower. But behold, look. Look at it. And he tells the story of the sower. This sower would be a man that had a bag on one side, and he would take the bag, and he would, you'll see it, he's going to take and reach in his bag, and he's going to throw seed. And I love the word throw here, it means broadcast. It's like we're broadcasting live on Facebook right now, and that we're throwing seed, we're broadcasting as far as we can. Wouldn't it be great if we had people in Wise County, people in, in Dickinson County, people in Cleve County, people in Scott County, people in Sullivan County, people in North Korea. I'm just, who knows who's watching on Facebook right now? Probably not North Korea, but throwing out the seed, broadcasting the gospel. You see, I, I'm almost a, a, a sower. You see, I, I got the form down. But you see, he tells this story. And listen, the whole sower went out forth to sow. And he sowed some seeds, fell by the wayside. Some fowls came and devoured them up. We'll talk about what this is in a minute. Some by stony places. Didn't have much earth. And forthwith they sprung up because they didn't have demons of earth. They had no root. When some, when some was come up, the sportsmen, they, they, because they had no root, they withered away. So he's telling about the different grounds. And I don't have to go through the story here. The different ground that this seed is falling on. It's going to fall on hard ground. It's going to fall on stony ground. It's going to fall on thorny ground. It's going to fall on good ground. And everybody's going to say, yeah, we've seen that before. We know there's different types of ground, Jesus. And then he ends this in verse 9. Who have ears to hear, let him hear. What he's saying here is the story's over. And if you have spiritual ears to hear, you'll understand what I'm saying. But if you have only physical ears to hear what I'm saying, you're going to sit there and think, I have the slightest idea what that man was talking about. So and that's the way it is in church. As the message goes out, even online right now, you can be sitting there thinking, I have, this, I have the slightest idea what Josh is talking about. Because God must open your ears and, and, and you must have spiritual ears in order to understand His Word. It's not understood by the genius or the, the mind of man. It must be understood spiritually. You must have spiritual ears to understand what Jesus is talking about. And that's the story that it tells. If you have the ears to hear, you'll understand what I'm saying. So that's the story. Sermon over. No explanation. No punchline. No aha moment. He just tells the story and it's over. Imagine somebody doing that, walking up to you and telling you a joke, and then, and then no punchline. Or we tell a story, a sermon, I tell this long story, and I'm like, all right, guys, it's over, let's go to New Mexico. Let's order out. You're sitting there thinking, he didn't tell us what that meant. And that's where he stops it in verse 9. So that's the story. Let me tell you the second point, the secret. We saw the story that he tells, now we can get the secret that he gives. He gives them a secret here, because watch what he does in verse 10. And the disciples came up to him. They were listening. 
They were expecting, they were like William Wilberforce in that story that I started with, that he's just sitting there watching this multitude of a crowd, and they're all sitting there thinking, boy, we're going to have success today. We've got all kinds of people here. And they're sitting there, the disciples are thinking, preach it, Jesus. Tell them how it is. Tell them to repent. The kingdom is coming. Tell them. And then Jesus gets up and tells this story. He says, all right, guys, I'm done. You got ears to hear, you'll hear. So the disciples walk up to him, and they are confused. And they complain a little bit. Look what he says in verse 10. And the disciples came and said unto him, I'm going to put it in Josh terms, Why in the world are you speaking in parables? What are you doing, Jesus? People are confused. They don't get it. They're looking at us saying, What's up? What's going on here? I don't understand what he, what he said. It's an interesting story, but it has no point. It's pointless. So they went to the disciples and complained, We don't get it. We don't have the slightest idea what Jesus is talking about with this story about a sower and seed and souls. What is up with that? Why is he talking to us in parables? Jesus had it very simple and easy, crystal clear. And now here, it's like he's talking in riddles. I was going to give you a riddle today just to, just to confuse you a little bit. You guys know what riddles are. My, my dad's the riddle master. He'll give you a riddle on you're just on a text message, you're sitting there thinking, I have no idea what he's talking about. And until he sends me a message telling me the punchline, I don't get it. That's what's going on here. Jesus has basically spoken a riddle, and multitude thousands of people are sitting there saying, I have no idea what this man's talking about. So the disciples said, What are you doing, Jesus? And here's what Jesus says. They said, Why are you speaking in parables? And Jesus says in verse 11, Here's the secret. Here's why I'm speaking in parables. And he has two reasons. Here's why he speaks in parables. Here's why he tells stories. Reason number one is to reveal it to those who have spiritual ears. That's what it says in verse 11. He answered and said to them, because it is given to you to know the mysteries, the secret of the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to let you know these parables are, are spoken so that you'll know the secret, the, the mysteries of the kingdom of God, so that you'll understand. I'm speaking it to my disciples, and they'll have spiritual ears to hear, and when I speak it to them, they're going to say, aha, light bulb, I get it. But I'm speaking in reason number two, look what he says at the end of verse 11, but to them, the crowd, it's not given. I'm not speaking to them. So he's speaking in parables to reveal it to his people and conceal it from everybody else. That's the two reasons that he gives here. He's going to help his people to understand truth better with parables. But he's going to hide it from those who aren't his people. That's the reason. The two reasons that he speaks in parables. The secrets to, to parables are, and that's the way it is. When, when, I, when we preach parables, you're going to have believers in the pews that's going to say, Aha, I get it. It makes sense. You're going to have unbelievers in the pews that say, that makes no sense to me at all. Parables were given to hide from some and to help others. That's what he says there. Watch what he says. Let's go on. I, I need to hurry here. He says in verse 12, For whosoever hath, the end shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he has. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seem, see not. And hearing, they hear not. Neither do they understand. And in the end, will feel the prophecy of Isaiah saying, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. 
For these people's hearts wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. He's saying, I'm hiding it from them. And I want to make this as clear as I can. They wouldn't listen in the first 12 chapters, and now they can't understand in chapter 13. They shut the door on Jesus and his invitations, and now Jesus is locking the door on them, saying, I'm hiding it from you. I'm covering your eyes. I'm, I'm, I'm deadening your ears. You have turned me down. You have called me the devil. You have, you have re rejected my invitations over and over and over and over. And I'm going to add more. And over and over and over. For 12 chapters you rejected me. And now I reject you. And you can't understand a word that's coming out of my mouth. I speak in parables to hide the truth from you. That's tough words right there. I've turned the lights out on you. I have made it to where you can't hear what I'm saying. I've made it where you can't see the truth. I've turned it off. I've locked the door. You wouldn't, and now you can't. It's impossible for them now to understand. That's scary. But to them, it's people, it says in verse 16, but blessed are your eyes. I like that. Blessed are your eyes, for they do see. And your ears, for they do hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see the things which you see, and have not seen them. And hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. So he, he, again, he says, I, I am concealing it, hiding it from everybody else, but I am revealing and helping my people to understand. I am opening their ears. I am opening their eyes. I'm turning the lights on for them so that they'll receive this and understand this. So let me, let me close this point out with this. Who is in control of who understands? Who is in control of who sees? Who is in control of who hears? Who is in control? Who's opening eyes and closing eyes? Who's opening ears and closing ears? Who's opening understanding and closing understanding? It's Jesus, the one that's doing that. So we can't understand anything when it comes to the Bible unless God enlightens us and illumines us by the power of His Spirit. It's not up to us. It's not our genius. It's not our brilliance. A rocket science can't understand the things of God unless God turns the lights on for it. And for these, God's turned the lights on for them. And for others, He's turned the lights off. That's the secret here. And again, listen to me. And I, I'm, I'm moving on. I've got to get to the main point. I've got to get to the end of the sermon. As people sit in the pews, and there are some like William Wilberforce's friend who says, I have the slightest what that man was talking about. The lights have been turned out. But William Wilberforce is sitting there and he's saying, Amen! Praise God! What a glorious Jesus we have! Why? Because Jesus has turned the lights on for me. I remember when the lights were turned on for me. Maybe, maybe I've got some of my family here today. Maybe you remember this too. That you could be sitting in church for years and not understand and not care a thing about what's being said. Walk out and not change, not move, nothing. I have the slightest what that preacher was talking about. And then one day, everything changed. And now you sit on the edge of your seat and say, I love what I'm hearing. I understand what I'm hearing. 
I want to watch it even if the church is canceled. What happened? Did you get smarter? Is everybody else dumber? No, 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 no. The secret is God has turned the lights on you to understand. He says, blessed are you. And, that, and, that's, and I, I'm one minute behind my schedule here. But Peter said the same thing. Jesus said, who, who men say that I am? And Peter says, some say you're Isaiah. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're this. Some say you're that. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Who, Peter, do you say that I am? And Peter said, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, which should come into the world. And Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my Father in heaven has revealed it unto you. All these people that, that have rejected Jesus, the lights were turned off, and the believers, the lights have been turned on. It had been concealed and then revealed. So that's the secret. Belief isn't about being smarter. Belief is about the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. God must open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts for us to understand. I think that ought to be a prayer of ours. God open our ears. God open our eyes. God open our hearts. Or as we share the gospel and as we preach to multitudes. God, I don't have to be a great preacher. I don't have to preach great three-point sermons that all start with the same letter. I want to. I have to pray that God would please open their eyes so that we can know. That they can see and hear and understand. That's what we have to do. And then he goes on to explain it here. And we're getting to our third and final point. We've seen the story. We've heard the secret. Now I want to give you the spiritual meaning. That he now gives the explanation. Look what he says here in verse 18. He hid it from the multitudes. And now he's going to, he's going to reveal the explanation to his disciples only. His disciples are coming to him and saying, why are you speaking in parables? And in verse 18, he says, here's privileged access. In verse 18, he's saying, here it is. Here's things that, that nobody else can see, nobody else can hear, nobody else can understand, but I'm going to reveal it to you. Here is the, the secret. Here is the spiritual, deeper meaning to what the story I just told. And that's where we get to the, to the main point of the, of the whole passage. Building up to this, he's going to show us again the Spiritual meaning. We've seen the story, the secret, and now the spiritual meaning. I want to give you the characters of the story here. He's going to explain. Here you therefore the parable of the sower. Who is the sower in this story? Is the sower just some farmer out there that's just sowing seed, or does it get deeper than that? See, if somebody's just typically hearing with with Earthly ears, they would think, oh, it's just a sower. He's got a bag. He's got a hat on. I can see him. He's throwing seed. He's throwing seed. He's throwing seed. He's dropping some. He's throwing seed. But Jesus says, hear the story of the sower. Look at verse 37 with me. I've got to turn my page there. But he says here in verse 37, same chapter, and he answered and said to them, he that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. This is Jesus. This is what Jesus has been doing for 12 chapters. He's a sower that's been sowing the seed. I said in chapter 10, he sowed the seed out. He's preaching the gospel and saying, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Chapter 12, at the end of verse 50, he said, Whosoever does the will of my Father is in my family. And he's been casting seed all over Jerusalem, all over Israel, all over Galilee, everywhere he went. He's a sower that's throwing the seed. 
doing it with a lavish hand. He's a scattering. He's very generous. He's not been careful with it at all. He's not been pulling seed out of the bag and just dropping it here. But, you know, here's one little seed. No, he's generous with it. I mean, with that. I mean, my favorite thing in the world right now is M&M's. Love peanut butter M&M's. So does Grace. So we fight over a bag of peanut butter M&M's nightly. And she'll say, Dad, give me some M&M's. Dad pulls out his bag of M&M's. And I pull out a green one. Here you go. <laughs> very, very, very limited. You can have one. But if I was a very loving and caring and gracious dad, I would pull out a handful and say, here you go, Gracie. Here you go, Gracie. Here you go, Gracie. Our God, Jesus, is lavishly sharing the gospel with everybody. I love that. He's got a very generous man. Not careful at all. Not only is Jesus a sower, but Jesus goes on to tell his apostles to do the exact same thing. Go into all the world and spread the seed of the gospel. Jesus isn't the only one spreading it out. As he leaves to go to, to the Father, he leaves the apostles down here and says, it's your job now. You spread the gospel. You, you, you scatter it as far and wide as you can. You go to the uttermost parts of the earth and scatter the seed. And then the apostles leave it up to the next generation and the next generation. And here we are today, and it's our job our main job, our the priority of who we are and what we do, are sowers. Let me say this, and I'm going to move on to the seed, but the primary job of a preacher is to sow the seed, is to preach the gospel. And you've got a lot of preachers out there who are doing everything but preaching the gospel. Our job, what we specialize in, our numero uno, number one job is to spread the gospel as far and wide as we can. We don't hold it in, we cast it out with a lavish hand. Broadcast it, and that's what the word is, broadcast it as far as ears can hear, eyes can see, and hearts can understand. We don't need to limit, we need an unlimited gospel presentation. Everybody in Big Stone needs to hear the gospel. Everybody in Watts County, hear the gospel. Heard Bill Gates say this week, everybody in America must have a vaccination for this. Uh, whatever, whatever your opinion on that is, my opinion on it is this. Everybody in America must have the gospel. That's the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not going to heal your body, it'll save your soul. Cast the seed. Preach the, Paul told Timothy that. Preach the word. Be instant in season. Don't just do it in one season. Do it in all seasons. When the ground is hard, preach the gospel. When the ground is soft, preach the gospel. Preach it at all times. When people don't want to hear it, and when they do want to hear it, cast the seed. It's the job of the sower. The sower. I don't get myself in trouble. I gotta hurry. The sower's job is to get, is to get on the social media and to argue with people. So the seed. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he says, well, let's look at the second thing, the seed. We see the sower. What's the seed? I just said it's the gospel. He says in verse 19, when one heareth the word, he says in verse 20, 
The same thing that you're the Word. He says in verse 21, because of the Word. He says in verse 22, check out the Word. He says in verse 23, the, here the, the Word is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe in the power of the gospel to save souls. So he says, go out and preach the gospel. We've got dynamite in our hands. Preach it. I like that. Romans 1.16. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God and the salvation of all those who will believe to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Don't preach morals and don't preach uh, helping people out with their finances and their lives. Preach the life-changing, powerful, dynamite gospel of Jesus. Now, I, I, I want to be mean here. I don't mean to be. But I've listened to a lot of sermons over the last five weeks. They're all over Facebook. And I'm not going to be mean. I'm not going to name names. But I sit and listen to some of the sermons and I think, those are those little snappy pop things. That's what that, that sermon is. You guys know what those are? My kids are on the park on Wednesday night playing with them. Those little things you see at the fairgrounds and you throw them and they do. <laughs> That's pretty good. I didn't practice that. And just a little bitty thing. My kids loved it. Pop, pop, pop. Almost like Rice Krispies. Snap, crackle, and pop. That's what a lot of churches are preaching. This little, little bitty pops. That, that ain't changing nothing. They turn the world upside down. They're preaching, here's how you can make your life better. And you listen to, uh, I won't go there. <laughs> listen to some sermons. There's no power there at all. Our power isn't like snap, crackle, and pop. It'll blow up your life. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I like that. First Peter 1 Peter 1.23 says we have incorruptible seed. Hebrews 4.12 says we have a, a word that's quick and powerful and effective and will live life. Don't change the seed. Preach the gospel. We don't have to change the message. We've got dynamite. Where does that dynamite land? This is great. You guys will bear with me. This is, this is great. Sow the seed. The seed is the gospel. And the gospel has power to penetrate into the soil. Or the hearts of man. And that's what he says the soul is. Look at verse 19. I'm not making this stuff up. I'll give you the three main characters. The sower is the one who throws it, the, the gospel preachers. The gospel shares. That's not just me. That's each individual in the church when you share the gospel with those you love. Give them the gospel. I'm going to say something kind of mean here. Our testimony isn't the gospel. Sharing our faith isn't the gospel. We must give people the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the power. And when we share that, it goes into the heart of man. So we have the sower, we have the seed, now we have the souls. And there's three types of souls here, or four types of souls here, four types of hearts that respond to us as the sower throws the seed out. How will people respond to us when we throw the seed? When we preach the gospel? When I'm in a church setting and I'm preaching the gospel, there's four types of people in every church. And here they are. You ready? Number one, and I've worked hard to try to get these memorable. So you guys can write these things down and understand that this is what we're going to run into when we go out. And understand three out of four are bad. Number one, look with me in verse 19, is the unresponsive part. The unresponsive part. 
Have you ever heard of a paramedic going into a, a house and they radio back and say, I've got someone here and they're unresponsive? You know what that means? They're not responding. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> There's nothing I can do to get them to respond. Basically, they're dead. They need something miraculous to wake them up. They need those patches. Boom. They're, they're not going to wake up. They're unresponsive. And that's what this is describing in verse 19. There are those who have a, a, an unresponsive heart. He says, when one heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth it away, that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. And the wayside would be, and I'm going to go quick with this, and in that time it would be the road. Basically when he goes to throw the seed, some of us will be dropped on the road that he's walking on. And he's walking on that dirt and that dust and he's packing it down. It's become almost like pavement. It's become almost like concrete. And, and you don't have to be a genius to know that you can't throw seed out and expect anything to grow on concrete or on pavement. If I took some seed right now and packed it on the parking lot and sit there and washed it, nothing's going to happen. Birds are going to come fly in and take that away. Nothing's going to get in the ground. And that's how a lot of people respond to the gospel. They are hearts are as hard as they can be, and it just bounces right off. It's like talking to a brick wall. We know that type. Stiff-necked, antagonistic. He's describing here the Pharisees, the scribes, Pilate, who wouldn't have nothing to do with Jesus, calling Jesus demonic. And we see these all the time today. People, you preach the gospel to them, and nothing gets through. There's no sorrow. There's no remorse. There's no guilt. There's no conviction. Stone cold. Hearts. The gospel just bounces right off. There's some listening today. And there are some in every church service I've ever preached to. I won't say every. Some Wednesday nights we have good people with open arms. But almost every Sunday morning service you ever preach to, and I guarantee there's somebody on the other side of that camera, if you listen long enough, that you can sit and listen to every word I've said, and you'll sit there and there's no sorrow, no remorse, no guilt, no conviction, you're stone cold. Nothing's getting through. I can sit and look at faces during church services. You can preach the cross of Jesus Christ and His blood and His grace and His mercy, which is just a, a heartwarming, heartbreaking sermons. And they're going to sit there and look at you like they just stare a hole through you. And shake your hand as you leave. Stone cold. You say, what causes somebody's heart to be like that? Sin does. The more sin you have in your life, the harder you become. Pride does. The more you think you know. How many people do you come across that maybe are our professors? That may be rocket scientists? That may be these uppity type of people that have just brilliant minds that nobody could ever argue with? And you preach the gospel to them? And they are so smart in their pride and smugness that nothing is getting through to them. They already know it all, so you can't get nothing through to them. Religion causes hardness. I'll say this rejection. The more you reject the gospel, the harder you, you, you become. You can sit in church year after year after year, and the, the more you hear it, the more you reject it, the harder you come. It's almost like you're walking all open and hardening your own heart. That's why Hebrews 3 says, harden, my, harden not your hearts. That's in the day of provocation. There's some listening today that have a hard heart. It's an unresponsive heart. 
And three minutes after you hear it, it's gone. I'm going to give you some time to Three minutes after you hear the gospel, it's gone. It says that the birds come in immediately and come in and swap it up. Three minutes after it's over, the devil comes in and says, you didn't hear that. Gone. Number two. We'll get through these. Not only the unresponsive part, you have the impulsive part. And I see this one all the time. Notice the wording here. The impulsive part. But he that received the seed in the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and, and on with joy he receives it. You see that with joy he receives it? Immediately he receives it. You throw the seed out, and, and it almost immediately goes into the ground. But it doesn't last because it doesn't have a root. It's like taking, get this, just a, a way of thinking about it, it's like taking dirt and putting it on top of that pavement out there about that thick. You can throw a seed on top of it, and it'll go in, but it's not going to survive and have fruit because it's going to, as, it, as it grows deeper, it's going to stop and hit the pavement. That's what this stony ground is. It, it just doesn't get deep enough. It doesn't have a root. It, it may start out great, and here's describing the crowds, the people that are bandwagon fans, the people that, that love the miracles, they love the food, they love that he, he fed them and healed them, and they said, I'm in. I love Jesus. I'm, I'm all in with Jesus. Started following him everywhere, but as soon as it got hard, as soon as it got difficult, as soon as it cost them something, they left. Oh boy, we see this one all the time. People that have no root, no depth, no staying power. Here's what happens this is so common. We see this so much in our area. There's great excitement. I've seen so many people walk the aisle, tears flow. They sign me up, baptize me. I want to be a part of the church. Sign me up for the nursery. Okay, maybe on that one. But we see a lot of excitement. They get a revival. There's emotions. They raise their hand. They walk the aisle. They call it easy believism. And when pressure comes, it says in verse 21, yet he has no root himself, and he endures for a while. But when tribulation, persecution comes because of the word, by and by he repented. They come to revival, they get make a profession of faith, may get baptized, maybe in church, here, here's this, three weeks, three months, fired up, excited, I'm so excited about Jesus, but as soon as it gets hard, as soon as the pastor says something that he doesn't agree with, or she, or them, lose a job, pandemic hits, they're gone. They were here every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then one day they're gone. And the FBI couldn't even find them. What happened? Their response was emotional. Their response was impulsive. Emotions are the shallowest part of our, our being. And salvation happens in the deepest part of our being. And Avery Rogers says, your emotions are the shallowest. He says, are the shallowest part of our nature. Salvation is the deepest work of God. And God doesn't do the deepest work in the shallowest parts. This is all emotion. This is, this is in, in the deepest part of who we are. George Whitfield was a, a preacher who preached to, to thousands like Jesus did. And he had all kinds of responses. And people would come to him after it was over and say, oh man, you saw so many get saved. Why aren't you excited? And here's his words. He said, Let's wait and see. Give it some time. 
and see how deep it goes. It is easy to work up excitement and emotion. The hard work that God does is deep down in the heart of man. So there's the impulsive. If the first one was three minutes long, this one's at most three months long. There have been many that made, have made impulsive, emotional, experiential decisions. And then they're gone. Didn't last, no fruit. Number three, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through this. We saw the unresponsive part, we see the impulsive part, and then at number three, we see the indecisive part. It says in verse 22, he also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and that care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. You say, what's this? It is this, uh, I won't say ground has weeds in it. Thorny weeds is what this is. So you throw seed in the ground, the seed gets in, and I sound like a farmer. I'm, I'm a sower now. I, I can plant me a garden just from reading this passage. But you, you don't plant on weedy ground because those two things are going to grow up together. And maybe somebody else understands this better than I do, but if you want to grow flowers, you've got to get the weeds out. If you want to grow anything in the garden, you've got to get the weeds out. Because before you know it, those weeds are going to start overcoming what you're trying to grow. And that's exactly what he's talking about here, is that as you throw the seed in, and it goes down, but it's growing at the same time as the weeds are. It's, it's trying to grow together, and they can't grow together. Before you know it, the weed who's natural in the ground, and the seed that's not natural, is going to come and consume and wipe that out. It may, it's going to take some time. If the first one was three minutes and the second one was three, three months, this one may be three years they last. But before you know it, they're choked out. You say, Josh, what is this one? Have you seen this one before? Oh, yeah. See, this all the time, too. They'll believe. They'll be a part. But here's what they don't do. They don't clean anything in their life out. They want to be a Christian and live their own life, too. They want the seed and the weed together. And I just got done saying, if those two cannot grow together without one overcoming the other, and if you don't get rid of the weeds, it'll consume the seed. If you don't get rid of the sin in your life, it'll destroy your life. And there are so many people that try to have both. I think this is also, this, this is talking about Jesus' family, too. They were pulled from Jesus, and they were pulled from the world. We'll talk about that in chapter 12. And there's a tug of war going back and forth. And they're trying to have both lives and live both ways. And you can't have both. You can't hold hands with Jesus and the devil at the same time. And that's what they're trying to do here. They're trying to have their weeds. They're trying to have their cake and eat it, too. And before you know it, the cares of this world is going to start pulling you away. The, the, it says that the cares and the riches of this world are going to start pulling you away. The sin is going to pull you away. It's going to choke you out. Eventually, slowly, sin always wins. That's why it's necessary for repentance. If you want a real work done deep in your heart, you're going to have to pull some weeds. You're going to have to make some changes. I've seen many choked out by sin. They may last a year, two years, three years, but you've been watching. They're getting pulled. They're getting pulled. Break away. Break away. Bad friends. Bad habits. Break away. And slowly but surely, sin pulls them away. You say, Josh, were they saved? No. The seed never took root. 
deep down in their heart. And Judas' number one example of this, three years, three years, three years. Can you imagine that? Every sermon Jesus preached, every miracle, and he's trying to play both ends. I got Jesus and I love money. Riches. I got Jesus and I love money. I got Jesus and I love money. It's a sin. It's pulling me. By the time his life is over, by the time Jesus' ministry is over, which one won? Those weeds in his life, that love of money, had completely choked out his love for Jesus. Was Judas saved? No. He didn't have faith that grew. And there are many, I'll say this, this is a warning. I know of people personally that I'm watching and praying for right now. You better watch your habits. You better watch your friends. You better watch where you're going and what you're doing. It's one of my greatest fears for our church during this time. That a lot of, a lot of times being in church keeps you away from all that weedy stuff. And when you're outside of church, you don't have that influence, you don't have that accountability. Pull right back into that old way of life. And it's not that they lose their salvation, it's just proves that they never had it to begin with. It never was deep enough to take root. You better watch yourself. Last one. I tell you what, if you look at the first three, you're going to sit there and say, I don't want to be a farmer. This looks bad. I don't want to be a preacher. I mean, yeah, if this is our only response we have, who wants to be a preacher? But there's one letter. And I call it this, the receptive heart. And we all should want this heart. This is what we should be after. It says there in verse 23, We've seen the unresponsive heart, we've seen the impulsive heart, we've seen the indecisive heart. Now we get the receptive heart. But he that, I love these words. He that received the seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word, understands the word, and bears fruit. That's the good ground. That's the heart that we all want. I, I, I want this. A heart that hears, a heart that sees, a heart that understands, a heart that, that gets it, a heart that's open, a heart that says, I, I want it, a heart that is, is, is fresh and, and clean and, and ready to take in the Word. That's what we all want. And I want that. I pray that for lost people, my friends that I'm reaching out to, God, give them soft, open hearts. God, work in their hearts. God, you are the Lord of the harvest. I can't change a heart. You have to do it. I plant, I water, he gets the increase. I want this from my church. One of the great things, I'll say this, what a preacher wants from his church most is a people that are teachable. It's a people that are molded. A people that, and not molded, not taught by me, but molded and taught by the Word of God. That as it's taught, they're sitting in a pew saying, teach me, preach to me. I am open to this, and I will do whatever it says. I'm not opposing it. I'm not too proud to think I know more than it. Teach me. I want this. And we, we will have nothing as a church beyond our capacity to be open to the Word of God. We must pray this every morning when we come to church. Teach me. I'm open to what you have to say to me. Because there's Christians in, in churches that have developed hard hearts. They're coming to church and they, no matter what's being said, I'm not going to happen. 
No! There's kids that are like that. No! Teenagers are like that. No! I'm not going to do it. I don't care what he says. No! We must have a continual yes to the Word of God. Even if we don't like it. Yes! Even if it hurts. Yes! Even if it means I have to change some things. Yes! Even if I need to change some things in my marriage. Yes! If I change some things as my parent. Yes! If it changes how we do church. Yes! I have a continual yes. That's what an open heart is. I need that. God, give me an open heart to the Word of God. You say, how do you know if you have one? An open heart. Look what it says. Man, pray that. We need to pray that. God, give me an open heart. There's some people that just won't listen. This is true. I'm talking about Christians. They just won't listen. I tend to be that way. Somebody argue with me? No, you're wrong. Uh, somebody look at me and say, let's argue about whether Michael Jordan is better or LeBron James is better. I'm a closed book on that. I'm not going to listen anymore. Then the argument's done. When it comes to the Bible, it forms me. I don't form you. Well, how do you know if you have an open heart, Josh? How do you know if you're receptive to the Word of God? He says in verse 23, is that they received it, they've heard it, they understand it, and as evidence that they have an open heart, they bear fruit. They bear fruit. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. You'll know your heart by the fruit it produces. It says here some 100, some 60, some 30, you, you know, the average for one seed was seven. And it says here some hundred, hundred, some sixty, some thirty. One of these, one good seed is worth all the preaching that you'll ever preach. All the other grounds that are bad, one good seed is all you need. Jesus needed twelve, not even twelve, but eleven good seeds, and it turned the world upside down. Oh, what, what manner of fruit they had. One good seed is exponentially impacting the world. What is the Word of God producing in your life? And I'm going to close. Here's what I'm going to show you. Three things that, that, that the fruit that it will produce. First, it will produce the fruit of character. Galatians 5 says that the Spirit of God will work so deeply into you. Get this. This is so good. That the Spirit of God, that seed, will, will permeate, permeate so deep within your heart that it will produce a change in your character. Who you are will change. This is the fruit of, of the Spirit of God. This is, this is not the outer me. This is deep on the inside of me. This is the inside of me. That, that is, what's this? Galatians 5, love. I can't fake love. Joy. You can't fake joy. You know, people try to do that. You can't fake joy. You put a smile on your face, but joy is deep down on the inside that only the Word of God produces. In the midst of a pandemic, we can be joyful people. I, I, I've not been happy during this pandemic. It's been hard. This may be the most joyful time of my life. How do you have that? The Spirit of God produces that deep down inside of us. I don't have time to go through each one of them. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. The, the more you're under the Word and open to it, it'll produce patience. 
It don't produce gentleness. You become gentle and good. It produces more faith. It produces meekness and temperance deep down in the character of who you are. The Word of God is so powerful. It doesn't change the outside of me. It changes the inside of me. That's how you know if you're open to it or not. And that changes your conduct. Character on the inside becomes conduct on the outside. Who I am in here is who I am out here. That's Philippians 111, the person proof of righteousness, right living. In our mind, we'll think better, our mouth will talk better, we'll live better. And the word of God does that in us. Fruit of character, fruit of conduct, fruit of converts. You'll have an impact on the people around you. They'll be changed because of who you are. Your community will be changed because of who you are. You'll become known as that church that preaches the gospel and changes people's lives. People's lives. This fruit may not be immediately. Nobody ever throws seed out and says, all right, here we go. And says, watches it. It takes time. So it'll be over time, and it'll be continuous, season after season, season, with more and more fruit throughout your life. That's how you know you have an open heart. Jesus says this, and I'm going to close. Matthew chapter 7. You guys know this verse. It just may be good application for what we're saying here. Matthew 7, verse 17, even so, every good tree bringing forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringing forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. If you don't have fruit in your life, you're lost and you're going to be cast into hell forever. The first three grounds did not produce fruit, and Jesus says they're cast into hell. No matter how impulsive you may have been, no matter how long you may have lasted, if you don't have fruit, he says that, let me close with this, wherefore by their fruits you'll know them. That's how you know people. The evidence of true saving faith deep down in your heart is fruit in your life. So which one do you have? It's one of the four. Even the people my kids sitting here today, my family, you got one of these four hearts. You know, the old magicians used to bring out cards that they pick a card, any card. Pick a soul, any soul. It's one of the four. Which one do you have? I'll tell you this. I don't know which one you have, but I'll tell you which one we should pray for. Everybody in this room and everybody watching online, just stop right now and pray. God, give me an open heart. Give me that receptive heart. Give me that heart that is, that is good soul, that is open and ready to receive whatever you have for me. I want it to change me. I want it to mold me. God, give me. I, I pray that for myself. I pray that for you. I pray that for our church. I pray that for anybody that's watching. God, give us an open heart. Not a heart. An open heart. Now, if you're sitting there watching today and you're an unbeliever, I don't know your heart. I do know this. That the seed has been sown here today. And almost every service I get up here, I'm throwing out the seed of the gospel. I know that the gospel has went out today. I know that you know here that you are a sinner. That you have sinned against the Holy God. That you have broken his laws, his commands. That there are ten commandments that he's given. And I, I can go through each one of them. And, and I can guarantee you broke maybe all ten. If, 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 possibly. 
You've broken his commands. You've broken his law. And by that, you deserve to die and go to hell. But Jesus is the, the only Savior. And he came into this world and he lived a, a perfect life. He is the God-man. Lived a perfect, sinless life. And he went to the cross. And upon that cross, he who knew not one sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I, I know this, that if you put your faith in that Savior, that he will save you uh, to the uttermost. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've fallen, no matter how hard your heart may be, if you believe in Jesus, He will save you where you are. You don't have to be here. You can be there in your own living room and believe upon Jesus and put your faith in Him. And in that moment, a seal will go into your heart and change and there'll be fruit from that if you believe in Jesus. So you can sit there right now. What you need to do is say, I believe upon Jesus. I believe it. And he will save you where you are. I urge you. I call upon you. I beg you today. Hebrews 3. Harden not your hearts. Don't reject again today. Believe today. And you'll be saved. But you might not have a chance tomorrow. He may turn the lights out. He may turn the sound off. He may harden your heart. So do it today. And I can be like William Wilberforce at the beginning of the sermon and look at you across the camera and say, what's the verdict? What do you think? How can you say no to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I love that it says your word will not return void. There are open hearts in every congregation and every sermon that is preached. There are open hearts that are saying yes and amen. And I believe that today. There are people that are listening and watching saying yes and amen. Yes and amen. But I also know, God, there are hearts that are turning you away. And I pray that you, God, would work that soul of their hearts. That they would be receptive and open and willing and ready to receive Jesus by faith. It's not my place. I did my job. I preached the gospel. I, 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 I threw the seat out. I don't have to change me. I don't have to change the message. I pray that you would change the hearts and the people who believe and be saved. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name.